0: candid discussions about our experiences being women of color in the workplace. I am your host, Rita Pierre, CEO and founder of Frida women, NYC, a fashion brand that sets out to motivate and instill confidence in professional women through the use of fashion accessories. Each week here on Frida, we announce the Frida woman of the week. This woman represents the Frida women values by being fierce, resilient, and, Erudite, empowered, daring, and ambitious. She is a trailblazer who is killing it in the game. So without further ado, this week's Frida Woman is my lovely cousin, Dr. Natalia Sineas. Dr. Sineas began her nursing career as a staff nurse in the Neurosurgical Intensive Care Unit, then worked as a quality management specialist for the Cardiothoracic Department, and became patient care director of neurosurgery and the Neurosurgical Intensive Care Unit at Columbia University Center, New York Presbyterian Hospital in New York. Currently, Dr. Sineas is the deputy chief nursing officer at Mount Sinai St. Luke's, which in translation means she is a boss. Natalia has a doctorate in nursing practice degree from the George Washington University, a master's of science in management and a bachelor's of science from New York University, and the bachelor's of arts degree in psychology from Stony Brook University. Dr. Sineas is adjunct faculty at Columbia University School of Nursing, where she teaches doctoral students practice leadership and quality. She is also adjunct faculty at the College of New Rochelle, where she teaches healthcare politics and nursing research. Dr. Sineas is a trailblazer, educating nurse leaders while improving the lives of others one patient at a time. If you or someone you know is a Frida woman, send us an email with your name, your picture, and a brief bio to info at FridaWomenNYC.com, that's Info at Frida, F R E E D A Women So, on today's show, um, I wanted to discuss something that was very personal to me. And it's very interesting how I arrived at this topic. I was home cleaning and I put on the latest episode of Blackish. Um, anyone who knows me knows I am in love with Blackish. It's one of my favorite shows and one of the reasons, or some of the reasons rather, that it's my favorite show it's that I love how the show's creators, the cast members, they are not afraid to talk about real issues that affect real people of color. And I can honestly say that each episode that I watch, I relate to it in some way. Um, I commend the writers and the cast of blackish for being socially conscious and for using their influence in society to raise awareness to issues affecting people in the black community. So if you haven't seen blackish it airs every Tuesday at 9 pm. Eastern Standard Time. I would highly recommend putting it into your rotation. I know that nowadays there are so many shows there's Game of Thrones, there's power there's you know Netflix is taken over. But you know, at some point on one of those weekends when you want to binge watch something, put on blackish. I guarantee you'll love it. So on that episode of Blackish, which was I think this past episode, um, Rainbow, who's played by Tracy Ellis Ross is battling postpartum depression. But of course, you know, she doesn't know that she's going through postpartum depression. She's in denial. She says that nothing is wrong. She feels fine. And it's very, very clear that she is not fine. It's visible. And so her husband, Dre, who's played by Anthony Anderson, he observes this difference in Bo. And, you know, he goes out and, you know, he talks to people. He's talking to his coworkers. He's really trying to figure out, like, how can he help his wife? because he sees that something is wrong. The children see something is wrong. So then they start, you know, uh, taking taking more responsibility within the house, you know, taking turns watching the baby, the new baby. Um, it's very clear that something is wrong, but every time you ask Bo, nothing is wrong. I feel fine. I'm okay. So, you know, one thing that she says early on in the episode was that, You know, I'm a doctor. I would know if something was wrong with me. And I find that so often, um, this is how a lot of women, especially professional women, this is how we respond. Like, I'm a professional. I'm smart. How would I not know that something's wrong with me? You know, if I don't know what's wrong with me, no one else will. Who knows me better than me? And a lot of times that answer pushes people away or it provide some sort of, you know, complacency in others. So they don't take that extra step to say, no, something is clearly wrong with you. We need to find out what's going on. We need to help you. A lot of times, unfortunately, whether it be the spouse, the boyfriend, um, significant other, relatives, they kind of just shrug it off. And they're like, you know what? She says she's fine. Let's leave her alone. And in reality, she's not fine. So what is postpartum depression? We hear it come up a lot, I think a lot more than it used to. But, you know, some people really don't understand what postpartum depression actually is. So as defined by healthprep.com, postpartum depression is a severe form of depression occurring after childbirth and pregnancy. But actually, there are studies that show that you can actually, I guess, get signs of postpartum depression during your pregnancy Um, And it's a mood disorder. And although postpartum depression may begin at any time, as it says, in the first year of birth, it typically occurs within the first three weeks. Um, Postpartum depression is unique to every pregnancy, and it may affect both experienced and first-time moms alike. So postpartum depression is not, this is my first baby, Um, I don't know what to do, I'm freaking out, I'm depressed because it's my first baby and I don't know what to do. Um, And it's interesting because in Blackish, Bo, who's had four children prior, is experiencing postpartum depression. So I actually like how the show depicted that, that, you know, this is her fifth pregnancy in. And she states in the show that I've never had this before. This has never happened to me before. And now on her fifth child, she's experiencing the postpartum depression, which would probably be why she was in such a denial since she's accustomed to childbirth um, and has never experienced that before, why she would think that this has to be something else or it's just what some also term baby blues. Baby blues is also, you know, Something that occurs in the beginning of pregnancy, another type of um, feeling, mood. I don't know if it's categorized as a mood disorder as well, but it's kind of like, you know, first few weeks or months or whatever you, you know, going into pregnancy, they call it the baby blues, but that does not rise to the level of postpartum depression, which is actually a mood disorder. So the statistics show that one in seven women experience postpartum depression. And that's, that's a lot. And women of color experience postpartum depression at double the rate. And why is that? Well, there are some studies that show that new mothers of color, um, the rates are soaring, I guess, close to 38% compared to the 13 and 19% of all new mothers in general. But the reason that they're saying that there's this, um, this, this huge, I guess, gap is that Women of color are not screened for depression at the rates that their counterparts are. And they don't receive necessary treatments and services. So there's a lack of services, lack of treatment, lack of diagnosis of postpartum depression among um, women of color. So what are some of the symptoms? How can you tell if somebody is going through postpartum? How can you yourself, who's a new mother... Um, or an experienced mother, somebody who's recently given birth, how do you know that you're going through postpartum depression? Because it's one of those things that people kind of really, you know, brush off. It's, you know, postpartum depression is a mood disorder, which means it falls under mental health. And in the black community, mental health is, uh, an issue that is not talked about. There's a huge stigma against mental health and, That kind of further perpetuates this, you know, lack of diagnosis, lack of uh, services um, within our community. So some of the symptoms feeling sad, feeling hopeless, feeling empty, feeling overwhelmed, crying more often than usual, worrying or feeling overly anxious, feeling moody, irritable, restless, oversleeping or being unable to sleep when your baby's asleep having trouble concentrating and making decisions, frequent feelings of anger or rage, losing interest in activities that are usually enjoyable, suffering from physical aches and pains, eating too little or too much, avoiding friends and family, having trouble bonding with your child, persistently doubting your ability to care for your baby, thinking about harming yourself or your child, Inability to produce milk. These are just some of the many symptoms um, of postpartum depression. And I guess at this point I can talk about my personal experience. Um, I had my son at a very young age. I was 23 and I went through postpartum depression, but I didn't know that until after the fact, um, which means I didn't get treatment for it. So during my pregnancy, it was a very difficult one. Um, At three months, I had a threatened abortion where I guess my body decided that it was just going to try to get rid of the child. Um, At five months, I had taken, um, you know, the uh, usual test that you take, uh, blood work, to check and see if everything's okay with the child, if there's going to be any types of, you know, um, genetic disorders. So I had taken that test, the routine test. And um, the test came back positive that my child would have spina bifida and several other genetic disorders. And at that time, I was very shocked. I was in a state of disbelief. Um, I didn't really know how to think or feel. And one thing about me is that I internalize everything. So I do not Um, you know, I don't go out and tell everybody what's going on with me. I don't break down and cry. I don't scream. So I kind of just internalize situations and I keep moving. And so that's what I did. But it was something that was, I guess it impacted me so much that it became very visible. And my mood was just very somber all the time. And I thought that, you know, I did something wrong, um, I thought it was all my fault. Maybe if I was happier during my pregnancy, this wouldn't happen. You know, because um, you know, you just don't understand. You know, genetics and and anatomy. None of that stuff makes sense to you when you're pregnant. And then when when you get news that you're about to give birth, or the or the child that you're carrying is going to come out with all these genetic disorders and and will not have or will most likely not have the life that you intended. Um, it's just one of these things that you just can't comprehend, and nothing will make sense. Um, so, I went back to the doctor, and I ended up having to take and or to do an amniocentesis. So, an amnio test—you know, this big needle—it goes into your belly, it withdraws fluid, and they do further testing to. I guess, you know, double check the results, um, of the prior test to confirm whether or not my child would be born with genetic disorders. Um, so I did take that test and we had to go through some genetic counseling because you got to prepare yourself for what may come. And when I say prepare yourself, you also have to make certain decisions. Are you going to move forward with the pregnancy or are you going to, um, abort the child at that point? Um, at that point, you know, this child's been in my belly for five months now. So it's kind of like, you know, me and my son were friends. We were, we lived with each other. This was my, this was my right hand man. So it's, it's to, to explain the experience. Um, I don't think there are any words for it. So either way I took the amnio and by the grace of God, um, the tests came back negative. So, My child did not have any of these genetic disorders. And a lot of times there are these things called false um, positives, and that's what happened. The test came back positive for whatever reason, but I took the amnio um, to confirm. But one of the risks of taking the amnio is that it puts you, you know, brings you into preterm labor. I think at the time it was like 1% of people who end up you know doing the amnio um would end up into this preterm labor of course i ended up in that percentage because a few weeks later my water broke um i remember coming back from the movie theater i saw saw three and i got a lot of criticism for going to see a horror movie during my pregnancy although i don't consider to saw to be a horror movie but that's for another show um I came back from seeing the movie. I was brushing my teeth and my water broke, but I'm like, am I urinating on myself? Is that what's happening here? Uh, But that wasn't urine. It was apparently amniotic fluid. I went to the local hospital thinking that they're just gonna, you know, I don't know, clean me up, send me back home. Um, Actually before that um, I, I was acting like a Haitian. Instead of wanting to leave my house right away in an emergency, I wanted to take a shower. I wanted to get all fresh to go to the doctor, but my um, son's father was just like get out the house this is an emergency what are you doing so we went to the local hospital and when we got there they're like you're dilated um, this is not a this is not a OB hospital you need to go to a real hospital and at that point whatever birthing plan I had whatever everything went out the window first of all at that point I was about I think I was... I wasn't, I was approaching six months. I wasn't six months pregnant yet. And the hospital that I was assigned to was Long Island College Hospital in downtown Brooklyn, um, I end up going now to whatever I thought the nearest hospital was, which is New York Methodist Hospital, not knowing what's going on. I still have yet to have gone to a Lamaze class, so I have no idea what I'm even in. I'm in store what I have in store, what I'm looking forward to with regards to childbirth. I get to New York Methodist Hospital thinking that again they're gonna you know sew me up or do whatever and send me home, and instead they're like you have to stay here for the next three months. So. I go to the hospital, I'm stuck in the bed, but I guess my child knew who his mother was, knew that I couldn't, it wasn't going to be possible for me to be in a hospital bed for three months. A couple days later, they have me uh, strapped up to all of these, you know, monitors and they told me that, Hey, we're monitoring you and the baby. So for me, I'm like, I don't have to tell you what's going on with this child. You already know. So now uh, the nurse happens to come in just to check me out. At this point, I'm, you know, alone in the hospital. My son's father was at work at the time. And, you know, she's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, you know, you know, doing as best as I can being on a hospital bed. Um, she's like, all right, well, if anything happens, you know, just uh, just let me know. Now, my son has always been very was very active. He was always kicking me. He was always poking me like my life, making my life miserable during the day. So at this point, we're in the evening, and I realized that I had not felt any kicks nor punches nor pokes for the entire day, and that was actually abnormal. So as the nurse is walking out, I'm saying, hey, you know, by the way, actually, I haven't felt uh, my son move all day. So then she comes back with a doctor they do all these tests they jingle some noise by my belly they poke my belly they do all this stuff no response the kid's not responding so then the doctor says we're going to come back in an hour and we're going to try again and if nothing happens you know we're going to induce your labor and you know move forward at that point I really don't understand what's going on but I'm like all right she said she's going to come back things will be good hour later she comes back shakes me pushes my belly uses a, a music thingy no response at that point all i hear is emergency c section and so as they're pulling me away in the in the in the hospital bed my son's father ends up coming to visit me at the same time so as he gets there he's Like, what's going on here? Where are they taking you? And it's like, emergency C-section. We're we're getting the baby out. So now everybody's panicked at this point. I still don't even know what a birth, I don't know nothing about the birth plan. I have no idea what Lamaze was. I don't know what this means, emergency C-section, because we didn't talk about any of this. So now I go in and I go into the OR, the operating room, They, you know, have my son's father get dressed into, you know, whatever this hospital gear is. And I'm on the, you know, I'm there waiting to get the uh, the epidural. So the epidural, this long needle that I hope to never receive ever again in my life. And I wouldn't pray. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Now, it's already hard. I my veins are very small, so it's hard to get my veins. So aside from being poked about 10 times to get my veins um, for whatever IV that they were trying to get, now they have this big needle and they're sticking it in my back and they're telling me, hey, don't move. And of course, they stick the needle in my back and my leg jumps up. So they must have hit a nerve and they did it twice. Long story short, I got the epidural. I'm on the operating table. uh, I'm hyperventilating. So they give me oxygen. They cut me up. Take the baby out. I would say the best um, moment was when hearing the child scream, because at that point I didn't know what this meant. The you know the baby was two pounds at birth, and the only thing I was hoping for is please cry, please cry, please cry. So the baby cried. They took it away. I'm left on the operating table. They you know they clean me up, patch me up, and you know hours later I'm back into my room, into recovery. And my son ended up, you know, being in the NICU for about a month, which means that, or which meant rather that I had to visit my child in the hospital every day. Um, So I didn't get to bring the child home right away. So the reason I bring you through this entire grueling process of my pregnancy, which I'm sure by this point, some of you probably never want to get pregnant ever in your lives, um, is to show where all the trauma came from and what probably contributed to my postpartum depression. Um, Again, because I'm not somebody who's very expressive when things happen to me, I internalize them. I believe that a lot of that did contribute to the postpartum depression. Um, And it was a very, very hard time. Um, And it wasn't noticeable in the first month of after childbirth because I was visiting my child to and from the hospital so it was hard for people to even really see that anything was wrong with me because I was commuting to go commuting back it was kind of a hustle and bustle you know I was with the kid for a few minutes you know a couple of hours I came home it wasn't easily detectable so it went on for about a month you know extremely undetected and it continued to manifest and then when my child came home, you know, about a month later, that's when it slowly started to um, be, be clear to others that something was wrong. But instead of, you know, and I can't I can't really blame anyone because mental illness is a you know it's it's a stigma, it's highly stigmatized in our community. People don't believe especially in my Haitian community and the Caribbean community in general, um, they don't believe in mental illness. They don't believe that anything's wrong with you, especially when you're a mother. It's like, what do you mean you don't want to take care of your child? What do you mean when your child is crying you want to go into the other room? Like, why are you being so lazy? Why, like, you're not a good mom. And some of those things were things that were actually said to me by loved ones. And it was very hurtful. And, you know, it didn't make sense. Um, You know, at times when my child would cry, I would run to another room. I would literally run to another room. I could not hear the cries. Um, When it was time to feed him, I didn't want to. When he was crying in the middle of the night, I didn't want to get up. I did not want to get up to pick him up, to feed him. Um, I didn't want to do much with myself. Like I remember one of my cousins visiting me one time, and they were like, you look like a zombie. You know, I would go to work. I would come back. I was very withdrawn from my family and friends. Um, It's just, I, I don't know if that's because I didn't feel much support. I don't really know. But I was just very withdrawn. I was just to myself. And I just remember thinking that, you know, I don't know what's going on with this kid. I don't even know why I had this kid. Like, I really did have these thoughts. And, you know, again, people, because they don't understand Um, mental illness in general they're just like what is this postpartum thing I was even told that this is not real you're making excuses for not wanting to be a mother and imagine you're suffering with this thing that you don't even know that you're suffering with all you know is that you're being told that you're being incapable that you're not good enough um, you know that you're weak that you're selfish. these are not things that you want to be told. Um, and they don't make you, I mean, forget they don't make you feel good. I mean, it's wrong. But, you know, getting past that stage of my life and now going forward and seeing and looking back and seeing, geez, like what was I going through? Like how did I even make it out alive without getting any treatment for it? Um, it's crazy. And I remember maybe about like a... Maybe like several months later, maybe close to a year, I started feeling a little better. I don't know if it's because I was praying more. I was becoming more active in the church. I found different outlets because I sure as hell was not seeing thera- seeking a therapist at the time. Um, so God was my therapy, it looks like, in the church. And my cousin was like, you look so much better. Like, I there was a time where I thought that you weren't going to make it. And I was even fearful for the child. And when she said that, I'm like, Really? And even then I still didn't understand like what it was, like what that feeling was, what I was actually going through. Um, And, you know, now hearing more women talk about postpartum depression, I'm like, man, I really wish when I was going through it, that there were people that were talking about it, that people, that there were people that were sharing their story. And, This past weekend, I was talking to one of my friends who recently had um, a child and she was talking about, you know, she thinks she's going through some postpartum depression. And I'm like, you probably are. And then I briefly mentioned to her, you know, what I had went through just very briefly. Like, yeah, you know, I went through postpartum and I didn't know it was postpartum at the time. And she's like, you should tell your story. You should say something. You should talk about it. And, you know, she's right. And that's why I'm talking about it, because Just listening to her, you know, say what she was saying, I'm like, man, like I, you know, she really needs, you know, to hear from people who are going through the same thing that she's going so that going through so that she knows that it's not a fake disease. It's not a myth. It's real. And if it's left untreated, um, you can. I mean, I believe you will go crazy. Um, And I think. Even though I didn't go to therapy at the time because I didn't know I needed to, later on, like several years later, I ended up seeking therapy, um, you know, for anxiety. I was studying for the bar. I wanted to be able to pass. You know, I know that I had this test anxiety thing since I was a kid. I didn't take standardized tests well. But in going through that therapy for something totally unrelated, I feel like that helped me Um, address some of these postpartum depression issues that might have still been lingering um, from from the time when I was pregnant. So I say all that to say this, you know, this podcast is about professional women and, you know, the workplace and how situations and, you know, situations that affect our life end up affecting our performance um, as professional working women. And one of the things that you know postpartum depression can do is it can ser- it can seriously affect your career i mean you can't help but be depressed half the time you can't help but be withdrawn you don't want to talk to anybody you don't want to do anything you know you're you're, sl- you're sleepy you're tired you're calling out from work those are serious effects and they are career killers um Especially you know when you're working in environments that require you to be social, require you to work as a team, Not everybody's gonna understand what you're going through, even if you tell them because we've already talked about how people don't believe that postpartum uh, depression is is a thing. So imagine now, you know, dealing with people who are not really in your immediate, circle they're not part of your core network they don't really have for the most part your best interest you know at heart um it can be a very scary thing that added pressure at work can even make it worse um so those are those are just some of the effects that that can occur at work you know it can it definitely will um affect your performance there's no other way to say it um whether you believe it or not, um, some of the reasons why I think women of color do not open up about it, which leads them to not, you know, receiving, um, the treatment that they need. We just don't open up. I mean, I know I don't open up, but I think that women of color in general, we just don't open up. We don't open up. We don't talk about what's really going on. Um, it's that heroin complex. Even when we're in the midst of this depression, we don't want people to see us as this bad mother, as not being able to handle motherhood. Um, we don't want we don't want people to see us as weak, even though we're you know we're displaying weak. Even though it's very clear that something is wrong, we still in our minds somehow have this superwoman complex where we don't want anybody to know what's going on we're going to hold it together we're just going to keep moving we don't want help from anybody um it's 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 really bizarre but then it's not bizarre at the same time and I think it's not bizarre at the end of the day because we still go back to the stigma situation you know when we're, we're raised thinking that something is wrong with thinking that mental health is a thing we judge people who are going through forms of depression. We say that it's not a thing. Depression isn't real. You know, go read your Bible. You need to go to church more. You know, just put a smile on your face. We are raised in a culture where mental illness um, is, is just not seen as a real illness. And... That plays a big role as to why we don't open up. Why am I going to talk to you about something that I know our culture doesn't accept? It's a waste of time. Um, You know, again, we talked about the feelings of weakness, postpartum depression. I'm admitting that I'm weak. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to let people know that I'm weak. So, you know, Lack of mental health professionals um, that look like us I think is another reason why women do not um, readily address this issue, why we don't open up. We don't want to talk to somebody who doesn't look like us. You don't understand the cultural implications. You don't understand the stigmas. You don't understand what it means to have to be head of household even if you're married. You don't understand so, women, we don't want to open up to people who don't look like us, who don't understand the struggle, who don't understand our background, and so that right there leads me to talk about or to briefly discuss um, the need for more mental health professionals that are of color. We need them. There's, you know, there's a reason that, um, you know, people are just there's there's a reason that there is this huge statistics of women of color, people in you know people of color in general not seeking mental health, not receiving the services that are needed. It's and I believe that it's because there is a lack of mental health professionals that look like us. People just don't want to open up to people who don't understand them. So I will give a quick shout out to Black Therapist Rock, which is an organization that my friend is a part of Um, And it's an organization of um, therapists of color, of black therapists throughout the country, throughout the United States. Um, So you can go on their website, which is, I believe, is um, www.blacktherapistrock. Might be .com, but I think if you Google it, Black Therapist Rock, you'll be able to find them. They're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram. And look into them and definitely support their movement, support what they're doing because it's definitely needed. Um, So, what can you do? You being the woman who's currently going through postpartum, you can get help, you can seek help, Um, you can give yourself positive affirmations. I'm not dumb, I'm not weak, I'm not selfish this is a mood disorder and i'm going through it i can't help it it's not my fault you can't internalize and and think that this is my fault the fact that i don't want to feed my child the fact that when he cries i i want to cry too you can't you can't blame yourself for these feelings you can't blame yourself for going through postpartum depression so knowing that You're not alone, that there are women, all walks, all races, um, you know, all socioeconomic classes going through this. Professional women go through this. We go through this every day and it affects our lives in so many ways. It affects how we deal with ourselves. It affects how we deal with our children how we interact with our families with our significant others it's a huge relationship killer if it's not addressed properly and if all parties are not understanding it on the same page like it's a serious thing but you have to know that it's not your fault it's not you this is not something that you brought on to yourself like how I thought that it was my fault that the blood tests were coming back positive, like I must have done something. It's not your fault. But what you can do is acknowledge that it's not your fault and seek help. I was lucky enough, I would like to say, to have gone through that rough patch without seeing a therapist. But again, I believe that church was my de facto therapy at the time. But, you know we're talking about 10 years ago, things, things have, you know, progressed and, you know, there's so much more research around postpartum depression and its actual effects that, you know, if you, if you feel like you might have postpartum depression, don't just sit with the feeling. There are so many quizzes available online to take, to see whether or not fi- if you have five out of 10 symptoms, go to a mental health professional Um, You know, go online. There are so many blogs, so many websites out there to help people who are suffering, you know, with postpartum depression. Go out there and seek the assistance um, because you're going to need it. It's not easy. And it doesn't it doesn't get better. So what can the loved ones do? What can the spouses, the significant others, the children, the parents, the brothers, the sisters, the aunties, the friends? What can you guys do? be supportive. Again, the signs are out there. You know that Crystal was bubbly, all over the place, charismatic. All of a sudden, she's withdrawn. You see that she's, there's some distance between her and that new baby. Be supportive. Lend your assistance. Hey, let me wash these dishes for you. Hey, you know what? Let me go change his diaper. Do you need me to fold these clothes? Do you need me to watch the baby while you go out and just go get your nails done? Lend your support. Do not judge. Your judgment is not necessary. And your judgment is actually harmful. Um, I think that a lot of times, and it's in the last episode of Blackish, it shows how Bo confronted her mother-in-law. Because her mother-in-law was stepping in Judging, you know, Bo with her actions, how she was feeling, and I believe she might have even stated that this postpartum depression thing is not a thing. And Bo like lashed out on her. And she's like, You need to leave because this judgment is making this worse. And it's true. When you have somebody in your face who's criticizing you, oh, you can't feed your child, oh, you're lazy. That judgment only pushes you even further to the edge. So don't judge. Keep your opinions to yourself. You don't understand postpartum, that's fine. But keep your judgments to yourself and go online and do some research. Acknowledge that the disorder is real. You have to acknowledge it. If you want to help your loved one get through postpartum depression you have to acknowledge that what they're actually going through is a real thing you can't fake help them you can't fake acknowledge it like yeah it's a real thing and then go on and judge and do all this other stuff you have to acknowledge that it's real so with all that information what do we do postpartum it's a real disorder and it's treatable I think that's one of the most important takeaways of this conversation. It's treatable. You don't have it forever. But you have to get out there and get the help. You have to seek the help. You have to be open to the help. It's nothing to be ashamed of. You're not weak. You're not a failure. Don't try to go through this alone. And if you have people who are in your life who do not understand what you're going through and instead of being helpful they're hurting you or they're causing more harm than good then you have to step away and cut them out of your life. So, it was a heavy topic. I know this, you know, this these past few episodes have been a little heavy, but in the beginning I told you guys, this podcast is about addressing real issues that affect real women, professional working women. In the workplace, at home, um, it's it's just an open forum to talk about these things because we're not really discussing them anywhere else. I mean, we have shows like Blackish that are bringing these issues to the forefront. But if you don't watch TV, then where are you really where are you really engaging? Um, there needs to be more discussion around this topic because I think with more awareness, there can be more change. There can be more Um, advocacy around the issue um, to make it known that this is a real issue Um, you know we can be connected with um, more healthcare professionals maybe more healthcare professionals of color will step out um, and say hey I'm here to talk about this issue or hey I specialize in this issue Um, it just needs to be a larger discussion and it needs to be a consistent discussion um, because that's the only way that we're actually ever going to, you know, really address these issues. It's great to talk about these things on the podcast and highlight some of the struggles. But we also want to come to solutions. We also want to figure out how do we, you know, overcome some of these challenges that, that may arise. If I have postpartum depression and I'm currently working, you know, how how do I continue to work knowing that I have this particular disorder? i have to keep working so these are the things that you know we want to talk about we want to highlight of course there are going to be days where it's going to be nothing but fun and jokes but there are going to be times where we're going to be talking about serious depressing issues that affect us women of color especially those of us who work so that's this episode episode five of frida's world be sure to check out our website FridaWomenNYC.com, to shop for the latest workplace accessories. And while you're there, check out our blog to learn more about who we are, our social impact initiatives, and upcoming events. To like and subscribe to Frida Women NYC, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Frida, F-R-E-E-D-A, NYC.com. You can also tune in to Frida's World Podcast on Apple Podcasts, soundcloud and stitcher or wherever you stream your podcast let us know if you're listening to something outside of the apple soundcloud stitcher world uh let us know if it's some other forum that we have no idea put us on and we'll get frida's world on it have a great day and see you next time